Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now, my goodness, it is the last Wednesday night of the fall semester. And uh, come on, True Blood. I wasn't even going to poke fun at you tonight, but I won't still. I still love you, man. I still love you so much. Um, Hey, Maggie, thank you so much for leading us in worship right there. I appreciate it. 14 or 15 years old, leading the whole room in worship. So grateful. So grateful. Uh, It's not only the last Wednesday night of the semester, it's also the last Wednesday night that we're going to be talking about sex. So some of you are glad that it's about to be over. Some of you are like, let's start again with it in January. But we're not. We're not. We're not. Oh, man. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, I stood on this stage and I spoke to the people in this room. Three truths from Scripture about marriage and sexuality. Uh, They are as followed. Uh, Sex is only for marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And marriage is for life. And a fair question to ask is why? Why why does Scripture uh, give us these truths about marriage and sexuality? I'm going to answer those to the best of my ability through my study of Scripture and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try my best to answer uh, those questions, and I'm excited for the opportunity to answer those questions. For In answering these questions, I get the opportunity to preach the gospel to you tonight, and I'm excited about that. Uh, but before I begin, I want to I do kind of like a pastoral moment here, because um, I know two weeks ago uh, when I preached, some people felt that I was trying to shame people, and uh, I want you to know that was not my intention at all. Uh, I, I, my intention was to, to, to fully proclaim the grace and the truth of Jesus when it comes to what he teaches about marriage and sexuality. That's why I started the very first story that I told was about the woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus and the people wanted to stone her. And Jesus said, no, no, I can't shame anyone because I'm not better than anyone in this room. And the two elders who sit in here every, every single week would have fired me and I would not be here right now if that was my goal. And I really want to keep my job so I don't want to lose my job by shaming anybody. The other thing is that people were saying I wasn't being very tolerant, and that is true. I'm not going to tolerate sin. Jesus did not tolerate sin. And when Jesus was speaking to that woman, he said, go now and leave your life of sin. It's not just sexual sin. Uh, Garrett Cornell will tell you when when he was in the eighth grade, right, Garrett, I kicked you out of the worship center like every week because you were being a little bit disrespectful and a little bit disruptive. And uh, now look at you, man. So good in this worship center. But when it comes to marriage and sexuality, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend to tolerate uh, sexual sin because I don't think that Jesus would do that. Now, I don't want to shame you because Jesus came full of grace. And I don't want to tolerate sin because Jesus came full of truth. And I want to reflect that in my preaching and my teaching and my conversation uh, with everybody. And the reason I'm bringing this up tonight is not to like defend myself or my sermon the other night, uh, but it's, it's directly to the 39 of you who had moved this past summer and said, God is calling me into ministry. And I'm not going to apologize tonight for this sermon, but I do want to clarify. When I stand up here and preach, when Peyton stands up here and preaches, our goal is to, to preach the word of God full of grace and full of truth. And so 39 of you when, you, when you get up here one day, when the one of you who takes my job gets up here and you're, you're preaching that awkward but awesome sermon series on God's good idea about sex, and the kids in your youth group are like, oh my goodness, not again. I want you to preach the gospel full of grace, full of grace, for God loves everyone, and full of truth, for he expects a holy standard from us. Time back in to the sermon. 
If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. We are designed to display God's love. And would you bow your head and close your eyes as I say a prayer over our time tonight? Father, thank you so much for this series, this awkward but awesome series that we're in called God's Good Idea. Father, thank you for um, the design of marriage. I'm so grateful for it, for it preaches the gospel. Father, thank you for, for last week and the a confession that was brought forth from, from the girls and from the guys. And uh, Father, thank you so much for your grace. And thank you so much for truth that we don't have to live in that any longer. But Father, tonight as we talk about the display, this mysterious display of marriage and sexuality that preaches the gospel, would you help us to understand that tonight? Ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, to begin, I want to give you a little bit of the history of Hebrew marriages and Hebrew weddings. And it's just important to understand the history and the context of Hebrew weddings and Hebrew marriages because this is, this is the context in which we find our scripture, everything that we study in the Bible. And this is the context in which we find our Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. A long time ago, and even sometimes today, in the Hebrew culture, a young man and a young woman would become married. Oh, the young woman, she was beautiful. She was her, her, her peak of maturation. She was so attractive in the eyes of many. And this was the time for her to get married. And then there's the young man. Uh, he, was, he was so eager. And his face was just, man, it was full of pimples, right? Every guy has been there. I've been there. When I was in high school, I thought Andrea was so beautiful. And I had to gather the confidence to tell her that. But I had to work through it with the pimples all over my face. And, and, and it was awkward. And I'm sure what she was thinking in her mind was like, please, stop talking to me. But young men and young women, they overcome this awkwardness. And in the Hebrew culture, it was a little bit different than the American wedding, the American marriage that, that we experience today for it wasn't necessarily that the young man and the young woman that they were infatuated with one another. They, may, they, they might not even be known one another. Oh, but the, but the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be were, 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 were arranged to be married, most likely by their parents in many situations. And what would happen is, is this young man and or his family would have to pay a bride price for the bride, for the young woman. And, and they didn't like exchange money through Cash App and Venmo like we do today. They didn't have Cash App or Venmo. They had camels and grains of wheat and barrels of wine. And this is, what they would, this is what they would trade. And many young women are sitting in the room right now thinking like, wow, if I was in that Hebrew culture, how many camels would I be worth? And, and young women, I want you to know that you are worth more camels than there are stars in the sky. You're worth more grains of wheat than there are grains of sand on the seashore and more barrels of wine than water drops that hit the earth. You are priceless. Absolutely priceless. So priceless. And I, and I know the context of that, of that situation uh, might, might be like, is he making a joke? Kind of, but also seriously, you are priceless. And in all seriousness, the, the, the exchange of property and possessions uh, for, for a young woman, for a young bride, was not to determine the, the value of this young woman. That, that was not the case at all. In fact, I, I think I have a good basis to argue that the person who most benefited, benefited from this exchange was the young woman. Oh, for she is now going to get to find her security and her status in her husband. And this is a good thing, especially in the culture in which she lived, in which she lived. And so they, they would be arranged to be married. It's most likely that their wedding ceremony would take place at the, the home of the new bride and the new groom. Oh, and the groom, he would be accompanied by mighty men 
and, and the bride should be accompanied by, by beautiful women proceeding down to the house and the ceremony would begin and they would exchange vows and, and make promises to one another. And um, then the main event would occur, the final consummation of this marriage. And uh, what I mean by that is that they would head into the bedchambers and they would have sex. And uh, you might be thinking like, oh, that sounds like a little strange. But remember, sex is only for marriage. A marriage is between a man and a woman. So like they, they fit. They fit the description to have sex, and so it's not bad that they're having sex on their wedding day. I'm just like, I wonder what the people who are waiting for them to get done are, are thinking. You know, like, there's a ceremony to be had, and, like, are the older women, like, sitting in the corner like, oh, I remember my bedchambers. Grandma! Nobody wants to hear about the bedchamber story again. And the old men are, the old, the old men are at, the, at their table, and they're like, man, last week's game was pretty good. Glad to see Mahomes is back. You know, like they don't even know like that they're at a wedding. It's crazy. But, but this, is, this would have been the context. They would have been in the bedchambers, and then they would have emerged from the bedchambers together. What do you do, clap? Woo, you did it, literally. Uh, high five, hug, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't, doesn't really tell us what happened. But they would emerge and there would be partying and there would be food and there would be drinks and they would be dancing. And sometimes this celebration would last for up to two weeks. Two weeks! Are you kidding me? How many times do you think you do the cha-cha slide in two weeks? I don't know if I could hop anymore after the two weeks of cha-cha in. Or the get up, like how many times do you get a get down and buggy in two weeks? But why, why, the, why, the, why the celebration? Like why the seemingly excessive celebration? Two weeks, two weeks. And because this was good. I mean, this was very good. A new family a young husband to serve and to lead and to prosper and a, and a new young wife to find her security and her status in this really, really good man. This is beneficial not just for them, but for the entire community. And this, my friends, is a fantastic expression of God's good idea. A marriage, a marriage and sexuality that is designed to display God's love for the world. I'm going to start talking about another relationship between a, between a bride and a groom. And fellows, especially for you in this next one, I need you to understand that you are not the groom. You are, are, are the bride. You're, you're, you're a part of the collective body that we call the bride. You're, you're, you're a part of the church. What I'm talking about is the bride of Christ. And you see, a long time ago, there was a bride, and, and this bride did not stand faultless. She did not stand pure. She was not veiled as a virgin like the bride in the first story would have been. This, this bride was disgraceful, wicked, vile, unfaithful. In short, this bride was sinful, was sinful. This bride had a father. She had, she had a really good father. And, in, and every good father in that culture, they would, they would pick a good man, an honorable man for their daughter. And so our father sent our groom to this world in the form of a baby, born through a virgin, pure, 
and faultless, lived a perfect life that we could not live. And then, and then, and then, the, and then the, the bride price was to be paid. And we see our father bargaining with our groom-to-be in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus falls on his face. He says, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, speaking of death, be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. You see, our groom would not pay for us with property or possessions. He would pay for us with his blood. And so we, as the, as the, as the bride, we show up to the wedding ceremony on, on this hill called Calvary. And there we see our groom hanging on a cross, uh, 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 grooms to be, they would be dressed in their finest clothing and they would have a crown placed on their head, this, this, this signifier that this person is worthy, this person is beautiful, this person is strong, but dressed in his finest clothes with a crown of adoration on his head. But not our groom. As our groom hung on the cross, they had stripped him of his clothes. And sure, he wore a crown, but it wasn't a crown of adoration, it was a crown of suffering with rose thorns piercing his flesh. And there we were, there we were, showing up to our own ceremony. Uh, not pure, not faultless, but guilty, standing condemned. And there would be this exchange of vows in, in wedding ceremonies. I think it's, I think it's safe to say that, that, we, that we come and, and we bring this, this vow and our vow is not good. Our, our, our vow is not faithful. For, for, for we are like the crowd when Jesus was standing before Pilate yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And yet he vows to us as he speaks to the crowd, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Oh, and then we are like Peter in our vow. I do not know that man. I do not know that man. I do not know that man. And our bride, our groom, he speaks to us like he speaks to the thief on the cross. Today he will be with me in paradise. And we, oh, we are like Judas, denying our groom with a kiss of betrayal. And there's our groom. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gives, gives up his life. I need you to be mature about this next part. For our groom, he enters a chamber. He enters the tomb and they seal the tomb and he's no longer with his bride. It's just the groom. It's just Jesus in the, in the tomb, alone. But Romans chapter six, the apostle Paul writes this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Oh, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I want to speak now to those of you who maybe have, have, have given some lip service to Christianity, but you've never united yourself in the final act of this marriage with Christ. I'm certainly not speaking in sexual terms, but in spiritual terms. Of giving your faith to Christ and joining with him in baptism. Let me ask you this question. When your groom emerges from the tomb, will you resurrect with him? Or will you still be dead in your sins? For let me tell you this. Those of us who put our faith in Christ and are, are baptized into his death, the promise of Romans chapter 6 is that we will also be resurrected with him. And so tonight, if you've never put your faith in Jesus or you've never been baptized into Christ, uh, tonight when we respond, can I encourage you to have that conversation with your leader about putting your faith in Jesus and being baptized into him? For the reality of those of us who have put our faith into Jesus and who have been baptized into Jesus, our reality is that when we emerge from that tomb with Jesus, when we emerge from the waters of baptism, our status is not our status that is sinful. Our status is not our own status, for our status is not found in ourselves. It is found in our groom. It is found in Jesus. And we don't stand condemned. We stand celebrated, for we emerge with our groom. And this isn't a celebration that's going to last two weeks. This is a celebration that's going to last for eternity, for heaven is already preparing a party. And oh, we, the bride, are being prepared, dressed in linen that is bright and pure. And the invitations are being sent out to those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And in a new home for us, the Revelation says, the new Jerusalem is being prepared for us. By who? Our groom. Our groom, holy, holy, holy. He is faithful and true. Christ Jesus, our Lord. The groom who gave himself for the bride. And now we, the bride, those who have been joined with him in faith and in baptism, emerging victorious in his name. This is the marriage between Christ and the church. This is our salvation. And this is the marriage that our marriages and our sexuality are designed to display, for we are designed to display God's love. And we put into practice what the words of Scripture say. Ephesians chapter 5 is read at most weddings, and it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And, and ladies, I know that that might seem like a big, big ask from Paul. But the ask he makes of husbands is so much more greater. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Fellas, when you get married, you die for your bride to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present to her himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless when we emerge in resurrection. 
In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We are designed to display God's love in marriage and in sexuality. Furthermore, Paul writes this to the Christians in Corinth, flee from all forms of sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You belong to your groom, for you are bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Why? Why do we care so much about sexuality and about marriage? Why spend three weeks talking about it? Why try to present the truth of the world in the midst, or the word in the midst of the world's lies? Because this matters so much, so much. You are designed to display God's love in everything that you do, and that concludes marriage and sexuality. And I know some of you are thinking, but like, I, still, I, I still don't understand like why, why sex is only for marriage or why marriage is just between a man or a woman or, or why marriage is for life. And sometimes it's not just about understanding, it's about obedience. Christ, or Paul says it's a mystery. Our marriage is a mysterious message. For it doesn't make sense either that God would, would send his one and only son down here to buy us back. And I want to encourage you, uh, uh, those of you who are thinking like, I don't know, I don't know that I agree with scripture. Can I just tell you this? Those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we don't distance ourselves from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus had a conversation with people and he said to the Jews who believed in him, and Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to be a disciple of Jesus can't distance yourself from the teachings of Jesus. So why is sex only for marriage? And sex is only for marriage because God's love is not cheap. God's love is not premature. Sex is only for marriage because God's love is an intentional love and it's a focused love. God's love is deeply personal to each and every one of us and God's love does not cheat. Why is marriage between a man and a woman? Because God loves someone entirely different than himself. For if God only loved himself, there would be no reconciliation in this marriage. God loves someone so much different than himself to bring them into what they could not do for themselves. And why is marriage for life? Well, marriage is for life because God's love is committed. God's love is strong. God's love is enduring. Marriage is for life because God will never abandon us. And marriage is a message, message that God's love is forever. And so I charge those of you in this room, students and leaders, who are not married, refrain from sex before marriage. For the world is yearning for a love that is not cheap. And then when they see your decision to wait, they will see that the love of God is holy and strong. And I charge those of you in this room who are acting on same-sex attraction, withhold from it. 
The world needs to know that God loves them, that God loves someone entirely different than himself, that God loves us. And I charge myself, and as well as all the other people in this room who are married, don't give up. Don't ever give up. For God has a love that endures. And in all these things, we don't go at it alone. We go at it together in the community that is full of both grace and truth. I'm charging, challenging you with this tonight. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond. To respond like Jesus gave that woman the opportunity to respond. In John chapter 8, the conversation is this. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Uh, Here's how I'm going to ask you to respond tonight. Last week, a lot of you confessed sin, sexual sin to your leaders. I'm gonna ask others of you tonight to crucify opinions or feelings that you have that may be opposite of the truth that is revealed in scripture. And tonight in the two schools in the back of the room, there are uh, uh, sticky notes and pens. On the back side of that sticky note, the part that is sticky, would you just write write down your sin or write down your opinion that that is opposite of the truth of scripture? On the front side, what I want you to write is this, the name Jesus. J-E-S-U-S in your own handwriting. For we are turning away from our sin, away from our own opinions, away from our own feelings about what marriage and sexuality is, and we are turning toward Jesus. When I say amen, your leaders are gonna spread out across the room, hand them that sticky note, and they're gonna pray over you. Come back to your seat, and we're gonna continue to worship. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much for Jesus, our groom, who gave himself up for us. Help us to have that same kind of sacrificial love. Father, help us to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus. And in all these things, Father, let the world see through our actions, through our marriages, through our sexuality, that there is a God in heaven who loves them deeply. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.